It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show, your weekly podcast throughout the 2018 Tour de France. I'm Bradley Wiggins. I'm Molly Weaver. And I'm Adam Green. And coming up today, we'll be asking if Thomas can retain yellow all the way through to Paris. We discuss the crowd and media reaction to Sky's dominance. And we'll preview the final week of the tour as the race moves to the Pyrenees. So, Brad, Molly, hello. How hello. are we both? All right. Good, thanks. Uh, lots to talk about today because a lot has happened since we were last here. After the rest day, Greg Van Avermaet held on to the Maya Jean for one more stage before the tour really came to life on stage 11. Garant Thomas winning the summit finish in La Rosière to take yellow. The following day, amazingly, Thomas won again on Alpe d'Huez and he's retained the jersey ever since. Before we talk about how all this affects Froome, let's just look at G for a moment should we be surprised by the form that he's showing I don't think we should be surprised I mean he should he's been knocking on the door for quite a few years now and we've seen him win races like Paris-Nice he won the Dauphiné just before this and he's coming of age really just you know as a bike rider as an athlete as a person I mean he's really the way he's handling himself in interviews and he hasn't he hasn't put a foot wrong the whole race and um, he's looked the strongest rider throughout um, and you'd say uh, there's no sign of him cracking at this stage, um, and it's his to lose now, really going into the last week. So, really, you think you think so? I think at this stage, one forty on Froome, one fifty odd on Tom Dumoulin. You've got a rest day tomorrow. Essentially, three mountain stages in the Pyrenees, a sprint stage, a time trial in Paris. So, you know, it's if. It's got three days basically in the Pyrenees now to, to lose this race. Um, and as I said, in the, in the Alps and on Mon two days ago, there was no sign of him cracking at all. So You rode with him for many years on mm. the track, on the road. You you knew this day would come, did you? Um, maybe not the Tour, but I mean, he's he's 20, already finished twice 15th in the Tour, having ridden in the service of other people. As I say, he's won the Dauphiné, he's won the Paris-Nice. You know, he's been second in the Tour of Switzerland before. British time trial champion. He's 32 years of age now. He's in the prime of his career. And he's been an immensely talented bike rider from a young age. And he's now shining. And I think this is a moment. And this is his... He's coming of age where, you know, they say going into third week now, it's, it's his to lose. Molly, what's impressed you about G's the last week that he's had? I think it's consistency. I think it's not... There's been mutterings of it being such a surprise and this sort of shock, but... Like Brad says, it's actually been quite a long time coming and there's mm. been years where he's been touted to maybe have a chance on GC and then had some bad luck or had a crash or something. Um, yeah, for me, it's been how every stage he's been there and he's been able to respond and there's not been one yet where he's, he's shown any signs of cracking. Many making losses, but as they turn for the final time, it's Geraint Thomas on the left-hand side going for it. Geraint Thomas in the yellow jersey. He picked up his first mountain stage yesterday and Geraint Thomas is going to win in the yellow jersey. Geraint Thomas to do it again. He's been through Cumbri Corner. The Welsh are cheering. And in the yellow jersey, it is Geraint Thomas of Team Sky to win on Alpaduez and extend his lead in the Tour de France. Can you put into words what an achievement it is to win on Alpe d'Huez? Well, I mean, it's it's the queen stage of the tour, if you like. It's the one everyone wants to win aside from Mont Ventoux. Um it's the World Cup final. It's you know it's it's Wimbledon final. It's it's all those historic sporting landmarks. Alpe d'Huez, Tour de France. They you know they're synonymous with each other. And it's if you're ever going to win a mountain stage in the tour, you either win on Alpe d'Huez or Mont Ventoux. And 
to win in the yellow jersey, having won the previous mountain stage. <laughs> I think even he was shocked at the finish. <laughs> he was speechless. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he was. He, he didn't know what... I don't think he expected to be in that you know, position, you know, so... He's dominated the tour, really, you'd have to say, and uh, he's still saying Chris Froome is the leader and, um, you know, that's as it stands. But, I mean, secretly now, surely he's going to be thinking with one eye on Paris now that this is mine, you know. And we saw glimpses on Mond where Froome attacked. We don't know if he attacked or he rode away and Geraint was the one who actually closed the gap. So he's, he's definitely got one eye on Paris this has to be his time, doesn't it, Molly? If you know, if not now, when? Yeah, and I think as much as they're saying, oh, we don't mind who it is, I think probably for the rest of Team Sky, that's probably true. But obviously, as an individual, you'd prefer it to be you. And yeah, like yesterday, there was, day, there was points where Demoulin had said that it was Geraint who was closing gaps to Froome. And you think, OK, as, as long as it's one of you, that's great. But obviously, selfishly, you're going to want it to be you. So I think yeah. that shows that there is there is some I mean, yeah, desire definitely. for him to win it, obviously. And they've got to be careful. It's because, as it stands, you know, how, how, they can't gamble too much because... Geraint's got a minute 40 and nearly two minutes on Dumoulin and Froome's got 10 seconds on Dumoulin and going into that last time trial with 10 seconds over Dumoulin, if Froome is the leader, I, you know, I, I don't think Chris is going to beat Tom Dumoulin in that time trial. So they could end up with Tom Dumoulin winning the Tour if they're not careful. So your safe bet at the moment would be to put all your eggs into the basket of Geraint and, and try and... You know, at some point, will a decision be made where they say, "No, actually, we're going to support Grant now for the last four or five days," because that's the safe. That's if you were going to, if you were a betting man, that's where you would put all your money at this stage going into the last week. Can he handle the pressure? Do you think of of what absolutely. the final week yeah, brings? Absolutely. I mean, he, sat, he You know, I watched him as a twenty-one-year-old in Olympic final in Beijing, and nothing phases him. You know, he's twenty-one years of age. We're going out enjoying it and we're going to win the Olympic final there was no nerves there was no it was just so this you know I've seen him in those pressure environments before and I mean he's so so laid back and so relaxed and nothing really phases him um, not to the point of being unprofessional but just you see now he's handling himself at the podium and in interviews he's just keeping calm saying all the right things of all the GC contenders he's pretty much the only one that hasn't had a problem. Yeah, he's not had a bit of bad luck yet, touch wood, and not had a bad day either. He's not had, he's not been distanced once except when he's chosen not to follow something. So yeah, it's really impressive. But you make your own luck as well and I think he's always put himself in a, in that position. I think the only stroke of luck he had was, he, he was just behind Nibali when he crashed on Alpe yeah. d'Huez and I think even he said I nearly rode over his mm. head. Yeah. So it is precarious and it only takes one freak incident like that and it could all come tumbling down. So... Now, cycling etiquette would usually dictate that G should make way for his British senior. Uh, you're saying that perhaps that's not going to happen. Well, until Chris distances Dumoulin further, that he's got enough of a cushion going into that time trial, that G can do that. But I think at this stage, for G to do that, Chris can't. if Chris is moving, he's going to have to move and distance Dumoulin. He can't go anywhere with Dumoulin. He has to go solo, really, or not he's at got, all. So I think those next three days, they'll have a plan... Whether that consists of something like Chris did in the Giro and throwing it all into a long attack and G staying with Dumoulin, um, we'll see. It's gonna, it, what it is going to do is make for a really exciting last couple of days. What will it do for their relationship? Because obviously it, it, it bubbles up, it boils up the pressure. Can they remain friends throughout something like this or are they, are they just keeping that professional head and staying separate from each other and just getting on with their own job? They, I think they'll be professional about it. Um, they'll be getting on with it. They're both competitive. They'll both want to win. But, you know, with every day that goes past, time's running out for Chris to do that. So we'll see. You know, it's, it's whatever whatever happens, it's going to be an exciting, you know, I think G is going to be refreshing if G wins. Great for the Tour de France, great for Sky. But at the same time, you know, it will be an exciting last couple of days if Chris was to try something like he did at the Giro. Will there be some awkward exchanges over dinner? Do you I think? don't think so. No, no. I think they get on, and there's a respect there, and that's built up over a few years. You know, G's ridden selflessly the last few years in in the service of Chris and other riders, and this is his opportunity now. And I think no one will deny him that, knowing you know what he's done for other people over the years. So, can you see it the other way around, Molly? That Froome will ride selflessly for. Geraint in the last week? I think at this point it looks like they're genuinely playing best man wins and at the moment Geraint is the best man. I think 
the only way that the relationship might break down is if Froome does something where it, it actually means that both of them are less likely to win. So if he attacks and Demulan goes with him, Demulan will topple him in the time trial. So I think as long as it stays genuinely, okay, whoever mm. is the best individual of us, then the team is winning and it doesn't become infighting, I think then then it should be fine, yeah. Froome rode for you, Brad, in the Vuelta. Um, I mean, what was that like? I mean, it's quite uh, quite the, uh, the the weapon to have, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, obviously when he's he's won the Tour de France four times, so he's an amazing asset to have in your teams, certainly for G. But at the moment, he's not riding in the service of G. He's been always behind G on these moments. And I think that's... We've seen uh, Ego Bernal has been always the last rider to drop off. And then it's then it's been G and Froome. And we've... No one's committed for each other yet, so I think it's we're going to. It'd be interesting to see how that plays out in the Pyrenees, and if there will be a decision at one point where we say, okay, Chris is now riding in the service of G, or they're going to still try and get all the way to Paris one and two, um, which is riskier. But as we said, I mean, that's that's the element of unknown. We don't know what's going to happen in this third week. We don't know if G's going to suddenly have a bad moment and lose time or. Um, Sky could still lose it at this stage because, as, as Molly said, you know, if, if Froome tries something, goes away, Dumoulin bridges across to him and they leave G behind, then they're in a difficult position where they're potentially playing into Tom, um, to, to Dumoulin's hands. So, um, And don't forget, there's still a bit of a battle going on behind with um, the guys in fourth, um, Rodlich, and there's guys like Dan Martin who are just far enough away that could be quite become an ally to those guys like Bardet and Rodlich and... So the, the you know the third week is where we really see what what people have got left and 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 kind of who suffered from the Alps, who's going to pay the price into the third week. Is it possible that Sky are, are double bluffing, that they're not convinced Froome has recovered from the Giro? They're trying to trick De Moulin. Ooh, I don't know. I mean, it's I don't think so. They're in a safe position with Geraint leading, you know, and I think it's it's whether. Froome is now going to come into his own in the third week like he did in the Giro. Has that been the plan all along? They've always said that everything was geared toward him coming into his own in the third week. So we'll see if he's got it. Up to now, I don't, I've not seen any sign on any of the three, four, with Mon the other day, that he's got the legs to go and distance and put essentially a minute and a half into those guys. He's not shown anything to that degree yet he, he'd already showed that by this stage in the Giro when he won on Montezoncalan so you know is time running out has he got it hasn't he got it we'll find out what, what are the signs then apart from not flying up the road and being miles ahead but what are the signs that perhaps it's not quite there well I think there was Froome. a particular moment on Alpe just after the Nibali crash where Froome was off the front and had a gap and you thought right here we go he's just going to do his usual now and go away when Dumoulin actually closed down on him um, and then went over the top and Froome was distanced a little bit and was in a bit of trouble and came back to them. So second mountain day, you know, was that just kind of a bit of a, you know, we'll see. But then obviously we got to Mond and, you know, Chris was kind of weaving off the back a little bit. He did go again, but Geraint closed him quite easily. So, you know, it's, it's certainly not the Froome we saw three or four years ago when he went on Von 2 and it was devastating and that was it, the stage was done. But... They've always said, you know, the third week is where he's going to shine. And it's not the maybe the one-two battle that we thought, is it, Molly? But it's it's made for a great tour so far. Yeah, I think the element of people saying maybe it's not as exciting. Well, actually, maybe it's more exciting that there's this yeah. added element of of like almost the politics of it playing out in front of you rather than behind the scenes. And I think, yeah, Brad's also right about that Froome attack. He had a gap on all of them then. It, he was solo, so maybe if he'd have had the legs, then that would have been a time when he might have shown it. And you can also tell from body language, he looked laboured. It didn't look like that smooth, really high cadence where he just zips away. So I think it is actually a more interesting battle now. How do you think Dave Brailsford will handle what's going on? Well, like he normally does, I think he's, his man management is, that's what, as I said last week, you know, he'll be talking to each rider separately, probably together as well. The guys will talk together as well. But that's what they're good at. That's why they've won all these tours, is because they manage everyone within the team and manage all those kind of each individual guy aspirations you know of what they you know controlling those competitive people that, that which they all are they all want to win everyone to put their hand up and want to win 
So Dave will just they'll they'll be constantly talking and having meetings and you know in the big six story office block and they take everywhere and they'll just be constantly you know how did such and such look today you know and they'll they'll tweak things around they might change they'll have a start off with a plan but they may change it a little bit. Froome might say after after the first period in stage I'm actually I don't think I've got the legs here. G's just too strong. So they, you know, they might say, "Well, okay," and that's where they'll change things on the running. You know, you can only plan day by day, really. And I'm sure they did that in the Giro. And you know, ten days into the Giro, it looked like everyone thought Chris was going to climb off and go home. And a week later, he's three minutes up the road, about to win the thing. So you can see how things can really change into that third week. And obviously, it is we spoke about it last week that element of unknown and is G going to? You know, he's never been into the third week in this position, and and how's he going to hold up? And we're going to find out. Sky seem to meticulously plan so much, but they won't surely have envisaged this being the state of play after two oh, weeks. I think they might have done. I don't, I, you think so? Yeah, I, they would have planned for it. You know, every sort of outcome and scenario. I mean, and it wasn't. If someone had said to you two weeks ago that, you know, a week to go, Geraint's going to be leading the tour, Chris is going to be second. You, you wouldn't have been surprised by that. I mean, we all expected Geraint all year. They were saying this is this joint leadership thing, and it will be decided in the Alps and. It's played out that way, you know. G's had the straighter run, if you like, without the crashes and incidents. Without the crash on day one, I think Froome would have only been at forty seconds. Now yeah. would he have been? So that would have been even. You know, that really would have been tight. So and obviously Dumoulin had that problem as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not like he's come yeah. from nowhere this season either. He had a clean run into it. Won the the race that normally indicates a potential winner. So. I don't think it's that he hasn't surprising. Put a foot wrong. If G goes on to win and becomes a, a more of a household name than he is already, people might be able to pronounce his name properly. <laughs> yeah, which is <laughs> you tell me. Geraint. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I knew your Welsh was better than mine. Um, okay, we'll be back for part two right after this. Eurosport player is the only place to watch every minute of the Tour de France live and on demand. Visit Eurosportplayer.com now to sign up for your free seven-day trial. Follow every stage of the world's biggest cycling race from every angle with six live camera streams to choose from, plus an uninterrupted ad-free feed and the very best expert analysis and commentary. So, Thomas and Froome in first and second GC positions has not gone down particularly well with some in the French press. Team Sky were described as the snake with two heads by Liberation, while L'Equipe said that when you wear the jersey of the British team, suspicion is as contagious as herpes. That seems rather unfair, given that Chris Froome has been cleared, Brad. It's, uh, I mean, it's, I think it's just ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, it... it Sports like that, you always get dominant force in sport, whether it's football, rugby, you know, individuals, cricket. And, yeah, but obviously the French is, is a very nationalistic race and, you know, it's been a, it's six years now that Sky have been kind of dominating. So it's, you know, they're getting, they're getting cheesed off, aren't they? They want to see someone else. But I think Garin is someone else and he's refreshing in some respects. So, yeah, I mean, it's... It just smells of sour grapes a bit, doesn't it, really? And that intense desire that they want Roman Bardet to win. There is that, yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, he's he's not really showed any sign of challenging them this year, has he? If anything, he's he's may have gone just a, a little bit back on last year. So, Molly, why do you think French fans single out Sky? I think it would have been whichever team became the dominant team, whichever nation became dominant, I think they want a French winner. They're desperate for it. It's very, it's a very nationalistic race, like you said. And I think it's one of those things of it's not specifically Team Sky or Froome or Grind. If it had been another team, I'm sure it would be the same reception that it's not us. So you know, it's not the French. So therefore, it's the enemy kind of thing. And then you've had like Bernardino and people just stoke the fire, and it's just become this almost battle, which it didn't need to be, and it's getting a bit tiring now. There is a history of that in the tour. You know, Merck suffered it. Um, even Jacques Oncatil suffered it, and he was French. You know, they they wanted a different winner by the time he'd win, he's won his fifth, and they were so desperate for Poulidor to win. You know, someone different. Um, so th- th- there is a history of that. Armstrong, of course, injuring. You know, th- there's a history of of someone becoming too dominant, and then people you know wanting a change. So do you think they would accept the dominance if G went on and won? 
We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I still don't think that'd probably be good enough for for some of them because it's still sky and it's reflected, sky as the, isn't it? Yeah, it's the Death Star, and you know, yeah. it's uh, so. so is sky's dominance bad for the tour? Uh, it's what people make of it, isn't it? It's what people create. If they create that this air that it is bad for the tour, then then it becomes that. It becomes factual, but. Um, I don't see it that way. I watch G win and I find it refreshing and I, I see this kid who's come through the British cycling system from a young age who was junior world champion and Olympic champion on the track and through his hard work and perseverance he's now on the verge of winning the Tour de France and I think that's brilliant and inspiring for kids at Mandy Park in Cardiff where he grew up and started cycling and inspiring for them. And I think it's that, I see it more like that in the same way when Froome wins... There's kids in Africa and Kenya that want to get on bikes, and it's you know that that's what it's all about. I don't see what they're going to do: sit up and go back and <laughs> give it to Dubalan. And I mean, that's what sports all about. It's you know, survival of the fittest, and so and I, you know, all the rubbish that goes with it, you know, doping slurs and all that. That that makes people feel better. You know, the whole thing. You know, the makes people feel better about themselves and and gives them some sort of in a comfort that, you know, oh, well, they're cheating. And I think that's true of most things in life, you know. As British cycling fans, it's a real time to, to celebrate, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's it's one of those things of, I think, looking on every time there's a boring moment, it's, oh, it's because of the dominance of Team Sky. But I think well, you can't say that because you're not watching it without them and actually they're lighting it up at the moment. I think yeah. if there wasn't that battle, it would probably be more dull as there's, you know, more GC favourites have dropped away. There wouldn't be the Demoulin tussle with them and... I think this is inspiring for for the nation, and you can see now there's generations of young riders coming up. Where yeah. before it's like a bit of a black hole of there's like a one-off, you know, star, and then it was a bit there wasn't that development coming through. But you can see it now across the board. And you think it's this good? We call it, you know, obviously for, great for Britain and that. But you think he's G is Welsh through and through, and he's from Cardiff. And you think what that would be doing for Wales now, and kids growing up in Cardiff or in the valleys or anywhere else, and 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 it's like this. A Welshman is on the verge of winning the Tour de France, and you know that's that's going to be inspirational for hundreds of thousands of kids down you know Wales. Now it was very calm for ten days or so, with only a few anti-Froome or anti-Sky placards. But suddenly it all went off again. And then it all went off, and people started throwing urine. <laughs> yeah, Froome was jostled and spat out on Alpe d'Huez. Thomas has been booed on the podium. It didn't just affect Sky. Vincenzo Nibali was forced out of the race after crashing because of a spectator. Plus, a flare was thrown from the side of the road towards the end of the stage, uh, stage thirteen. Now, cycling fans love to see crowds. I mean, I, as a fan of cycling, watching the Tour for 30 years, I love those images, those iconic images of the crowd at the last minute separating, yeah. of, of, of the flares, of the noise, of the colour. It's brilliant to watch. But what's happening in those instances with Team Sky is, is simply not on, is it? No, I mean, you, you're putting people's safety at risk. And, and in, you know, obviously Nibali, there was a bit of a freak accident with a camera strap and stuff, but it just shows you that at those speeds climbing, you can still crash and break your back. And, you know, people running out and pushing through him and all that, that he doesn't deserve that. You know, that's you know, this is someone trying to do his job who needs to be protected and ride safely. You know, he's a husband, he's got kids, it's not. And, you know, you miss him and knock someone else off, off in the process. It's, it's ridiculous. These are professional athletes um, trying to go about their business and... You know, there's no other sport in the world that you'd be able to get that close to the world's elite. You couldn't jump over the barriers in Wimbledon and start pushing Federer over because he's about to win his 10th title. Yeah. You know, it's just ludicrous. You'd be arrested and throw So what gives these people the right to do that? Um, and people just forget themselves in that moment. They absolutely forget themselves. We don't want to lose that, do we, from cycling that intense no. atmosphere on the mountain? I know, as I said, I love to watch that. Can you explain what it's like to ride through that wall of sound well, it's and, and that wall of, of yeah. spectators. There's the risk element, but at the same time, you know, the goosebumps and everything, when you're riding through that, as you say, I can remember in 92 watching the tour and Kia Pucci's escaped to Sestriere and, the, and he was asking the crowd to get back because they were just parting at the last minute. And But the spectacle that gives you is phenomenal and, and you wouldn't want to lose that from the Tour de France by barriering the whole climb. Can you hear what people are saying? Because obviously they're very close to you, or is it just the odd one? Yeah, the odd one. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're that close to them, you know. Did so. you find it 
that it, it spurred you on seeing images like we've seen at the, at the top of some of yeah, the mountain I mean, climbs. You know, people shout, think you'll you're hear all different sort of accents as you're going through that, and then you'll hear a British voice. Someone will shout "hero" or something like that, and then you you know you might hear another four-letter word <laughs> followed by a three-letter <laughs> word, and then um, so there's all yeah, you're still or a kid will shout, or you're, you know it's it's just constant going up, and at the same time while all that's going on. You're trying to focus on the effort and chasing the wheel in front of you, and it's 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 it's, it's very unique, and there's no other other sport like it. I don't think. When it's the true cycling fans and people just watching the spectacle of it, then I think it's it's incredible to see, and I'm sure it's an incredible experience. It's normally people who are like taking a selfie, they're running along trying to get on TV. It's that those people where they're actually they're not looking at the riders, and that's where you see like issues coming in with their whether intentionally or not. They're bumping into riders, they're hitting them. I think I don't know how you control that, but there needs to be an element of kit. You can be there and watch the riding and be part of the spectacle, but it's not about getting famous on TV for a second. Uh, barring uh, threatening legal action because of, of what happened with Nibali, and that was an awful occurrence, what's perhaps the worst thing? You mentioned some of the four-letter words you've had thrown at you. What's maybe the worst thing that's happened to you up one of those intense climbs? Um, I got... Burnt. When I was in yellow in 2012, I got burnt by a flare at the side of the road. Someone was waving flares, you know, as it was funneling down, and I just caught one on the side of my arm. Um, that was probably the worst thing, um, which is just a bit of a kind of shock at the time, but no long-term damage or anything. But you know, that's that's how close you get into people. Wow! It just shows you how close it all gets, and people get so angry and so overwhelmed at seeing you and you know, different people and it's just but it's there it's just the intensity especially on those climbs is so raw and, it, and it's just there and obviously we saw like with Nibali I mean he's got brought off by a camera strap you know that's how close the people are to what do you think both of you can be done to maintain that incredible atmosphere but also protect riders and, and keep them safe and not lose the, the essence of those incredible hill climbs are there things we're simply not? Well, doing riders aren't fated anymore, and I think they're a little bit at times dehumanised in the press and stuff, and you forget that these people are humans, and I think that's that causes sort of mass hysteria, and um, then that kind of people then think that it's all right to go and do that to these guys up the climbs, you know, that somehow because it's a sporting event that it's acceptable. If you went up to someone in the street and did that, you'd either get your head kicked in or you get arrested. But because, you know, the kind of people, what we were saying last week, like what Hino said, and then obviously what the French press have been saying about the team, that, that kind of gives people, riles people up, you know, that is, it's ancient Rome, isn't it? You know, kind of get the mob all wound up enough to go and do something. And that's, these people have got a duty to kind of rider safety. And it, all it does is dehumanise these riders and people just see them as going up and I don't want you to win, so I'm allowed to push you over and that. And, you know, it's not acceptable. I think almost everything that's being done is being done in terms of like barriers and protection because otherwise you'd have to ban everyone from the mountain. But in this, in the case of Nibali, it was actually they'd already put barriers on that section as a step up from last year and the previous years, but everyone was standing on the wrong side of them. So as well as yeah, bringing it back down to these people and not not sort of slandering them so much in the press and making it this this battle and this mob mentality, I think also enforcing the barriers you have in place. There's no point in putting a barrier if everyone stands the wrong side of it. It's obviously a dangerous point of the climb. So maybe have more police in those sections that are being more forceful because that's that is a police officer normally be arrested if you cross that kind of thing. So it's bringing it back down to this is breaking the law to cross that barrier rather than oh it's there if you want kind of thing. Uh, well, let's get the perspective of a rider currently riding the tour. EF Education First Drapax Taylor Finney spoke to Eurosport earlier. I mean, honestly, when they, when you go from from no barriers to barriers, it's kind of a it's kind of a buzzkill. I like having the people right there. I feel like it's it's part of the sport. I mean, the the flares are are one thing. We had a flare just. Somebody just threw it into the Peloton. Um, either yet, I think it was yesterday, and that was a little bit, a little bit frightening. Felt like I was playing Call of Duty or something. I don't know. I'm not. I've never ever been in a position where I'm fighting for the win uh, to win a race, um, and at the same time, sprinting through a giant crowd. 
So I, my only experience of being in a crowd is riding in the Gruppetto and trying to make the time cut and like doing the wave every once in a while to get people excited 30 minutes after the real race came through. So um, it's easy for me to say like, yeah, no barriers, let's do this. But I'm not losing anything really. I guess it's more about educating the fans, really, and just keeping them aware that, hey, we're all in this together. Just give give the riders a bit of respect and just a little bit of space. Yeah, I guess so. It's hard to do mass education, as, <laughs> as we're all aware. Um, I mean, they get there at 9 in the morning, you know, and then they start drinking. It's enough time to get a pretty solid buzz on, take a nap, and then go for round two, so... They're not typically in the right mindset, even if they were highly educated. Well, that's Taylor Finney there. Let's talk about the main chasers in the GC standings now. Um, someone we've mentioned already in the podcast is Tom Dumoulin. Still looks strong, doesn't he, going into the third week? He looks as strong as Geraint, I would say. Um, Having uh, having seen, you know, he the the day first stage Geraint won. Obviously, Tom went on the descent and rode the whole last climb on his own, and Geraint only sort of caught him in the final. But um, so that you know, he was immensely strong that day. He's, he's count, challenged every move since. You know, he's been right there. Um, so he's he looks equally, if not, I would say he's stronger than Froome at this stage, and is probably up there with Geraint. But for the time loss we saw in the first week, certainly. The puncher on the run into Mur de Bretagne cost him dearly, didn't it, in terms of time? Um, and but you know, for that he'd be right there with Geraint going into what a thirty forty second gap going into that time trial if the gaps stay the same this week. Where do you think Dumoulin will need to be, Molly? Because he'll have his eyes on the time trial, won't he? Yeah, I think he needs to make up quite a lot of time on G. Though is is the problem now? It's not. I think at this point, if, they, if the gaps stay the same, I think he probably would take overtake Froome. Um, but he needs to take some time in these mountains. I think he would need to take... He'd comfortably want to take a minute back on him, but I think that's a big ask. looking at how G's riding yeah. right now. I think G's a good time trial, so it's not like you've got a, a GC guy who can't time trial at all, so I think it's he's going to need to make up a lot of time on them, I think. The time, tra- the time trial's quite lumpy down near Biarritz, um, and it's 31k. There was a similar time trial two years ago in 2016. It was 37k and it was stage 13 and Dumoulin won and he put two minutes into G that day and one minute 20 into Froome. So it's um, he's capable of big distant chunks. It's at the end of the race and I, I don't think he put two minutes this year into, into Geraint. Geraint finished seventh that day. So, you know... Bardet needs to have the week of his life, doesn't he, if he's going to be challenging? Or a bit of miss benefit from a bit of misfortune from other riders uh, at this stage or form some alliances with guys like Dan Martin and, and you know they might be able to cause a few attacks obviously Movistar have been a bit off the pace as it were you know Quintana's attack on Alp Duez getting caught and then going straight out the back you know it was kind of bizarre um, there may have been a call from the car on the radio to try something just to kind of break Sky's monotony on the front um, but I think they've they've up to this stage they've they've thrown what they can at them, Movistar and a few other teams, and it's not broke them. It's going to be, I say, a good last week, definitely. You mentioned Primus Roglic. Is he going to benefit from maybe being off the radar slightly? Do we both think that not all eyes are not on him? Could he try something? I think yesterday you could see that they maybe gave him a little bit more room than they would others, but then after that they retrospectively seem to be a little bit more concerned about that than they were in the moment. So. Maybe that's actually just made them more aware of it. So I think they're not going to let anyone ride away, especially I think when you're on like you know the Pyrenean climbs. I feel like you can't let someone like him who can win a massive mountain stage get any time. He's also a time trialing style rider, so it's hard to control that gap. Then I think. Interesting. Okay, well we'll be back with part three very shortly to talk about Cavs Tour and preview the final week. Great teams flourish at the Tour de France and Eurosport have brought a sparkling lineup to the world's premier cycling race. Coverage is fronted by Jonathan Edwards with analysis from Brian Smith and a host of guests, plus Matt Stevens as race reporter and the inimitable Carlton Kirby, Rob Hatch and Sean Kelly in the commentary box. So join us for three weeks of unbeatable drama 
live on Eurosport. OK, also this week, there were wins for Julian Alaphilippe, the Astana riders Omar Fraley and Magnus Cornelsen. Plus, Peter Sagan won another bunch sprint uh, to tighten the vice on his green jersey. But there weren't many sprinters left by this point, with so many not making the cut on the mountain stages. Were those cut-off times too harsh, do you think? been quite a bit of debate about this, and it, it, you, there's two sides to it. It really is. I mean, at the end of the day... They're there for a reason, but that there's the particular stage Mark got eliminated on. I mean, it's 5,000 metres of climbing. That is a lot of climbing. And, and the time gap, I think, was 41 minutes, the time delay. And in the four or five climbs they had that day, you know, Mark's got to lose eight minutes per climb on the world's best climbers to start, just to make the time delay. I think he finished an hour down. So it is tight, but we lost a big chunk of sprinters. And I'm sure if you ask Damar, Christoph, these guys they'd be happy that those guys have gone home because now there's more opportunities for them to win. But as a, from a spectacle point of view, you want the world's best sprinters in there. Is it so, bad for the race that that's happened? From a, from a spectator's point of view, it is, because you want the best riders there. You want to see Mark and these guys challenging on the Champs-Élysées for the stage. But when you're in there and you're racing and it's part of your livelihood and you're trying to win stages, Damar and these guys will be happy that they've all gone. So it's, it's which depends which way you look at it. An incredible effort from Cav. Molly, people talking about his respect for the race. What did you make of his efforts? Yeah, I think it shows a massive respect for him for doing that. I think it shows a lot of a lot of guts, but also yeah, it shows that he really values the race and and and, and does have a lot of respect for it. I think it's very easy to just want to climb off your bike and firstly not put the effort in because it's obviously by that point you're really in a, in a lot of difficulty. But also I think it's difficult to then get to the finish and everyone to to witness you missing the time cut and being a long way behind. I think that's it's much easier to save your pride and go, you know what, I'm going to get in a car, go home and no one has to see me. So I think, you know, for him, I think it was an incredible thing to do, yeah. I remember he climbed off in his first tour in 2007 um, and they planned to do that. And I think it really affected him. I don't think he enjoyed the experience of climbing off in the Tour de France. So to finish the stage like everyone else and then get told you're not in is a different experience to climbing off halfway through a stage. And it just, you know, say, Mark, he's, his life is the Tour de France. So he um, he wasn't he was going to finish at all costs, whatever it took. And, you know, that, that day in particular, finishing last on the stage, last on the road, he's the out of that British Cycling Academy class of 2005. Geraint won the stage, who's also from that class of 2005. Rod Ellingworth was at the finish that day, who managed them as kids and brought them through, and he had first and last on the stage. It was kind of quite a... Uh, yeah, and obviously Geraint's winning time and winning stage was the one that put Mark out, you know, so it's um, it was a sort of a funny day kind of... It's bittersweet in many ways. Do you think Cav will be back? Will we see him oh, again? Definitely, yeah, without yeah. doubt. I mean, I know he's already been back training hard in all, in preparation for Ride London next weekend. He wants to come back, win that, make his mark back on back on the world stage, and he'll be back at the tour without doubt. You know, we said last week that he's um, the season he's had has been, you know, very very kind of cruel to him with the crashes and. I think in hindsight he probably wasn't at the level he needed to be for the Tour de France, but that didn't stop him taking part, putting his neck on the line in the stages, riding to the finish and getting eliminated. But the show goes on and he's he's continuing on now and, and going to try and make the most of the rest of the season. Anything else leap out from the last week that uh, was a highlight for you? Greg van Avermaet's first stage in the Alps, you know, going up the road in yellow, keeping yellow, that was a bit of a standout. We spoke last week about Lawson Craddock. He's still in the race, yeah. fighting on at the back with a broken... Is it broken scapula or vertebra or something, you know, broken? It's yeah. an unbelievable effort. Um, I mean, for me, Peter Sagan winning was just... But again, we haven't spoke about Sagan because it's just expected of him yeah. now. Yeah. But the way the norm. That, even yesterday when he, he was... He won again the other day, didn't he? Yeah, so. and then yesterday when you saw him come over the climb and you thought, oh, he's there and like, he's you know in the sprint for the for maybe like, what, fourth or fifth, whatever it was, but... I thought, oh, he's going to be dropped in this climb. This is like way too hard. And then he he emerges. He gets more green jersey points, yeah. and, and it's kind of phenomenal on a climb like that. And actually, he announced the other day what's going on in his personal life. You know, with his divorce and stuff. And actually, think, God, he's been doing this yeah. with all the extreme. You know, the other side of the coin that's going on in his personal life. It must be quite tough for him, and still to be able to perform like that. And yeah. I also think with him, it's easy. He's got such a buffer 
I think maybe a different rider would be like, oh, great, I have loads of room in this. I won't go for, like, stages like yesterday where you think oh, he has such a massive lead, but still he goes, to, you know, to try and win on a really difficult climb up to a summit finish. Yeah. I think it shows, like, a class of rider and a, you know, a proper racer. And Alaphilippe's win was a great solo effort and, I mean, he began celebrating the win about three kilometres <laughs> yeah. from the end, yeah. which uh, <laughs> I was rather worried for him in case he punctured or anything, but that was a, a real classy ride, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and great for the French, you know, to, to have a home winner and... Especially his personality and that he's kind of uh, a bit wacky and you know, to take the king of the mountains. That's turned into a good battle as well with another yeah. Frenchman in Warren Bargy. So um, obviously that's still going to play out in the Pyrenees because I think there's only about 19, 20 points between them all. So yeah, it's, uh, the French will have something to celebrate, definitely. <laughs> Let's finish by looking ahead to this week's route as the race heads for the Pyrenees. Now, some of the highlights, I suppose there's the very short stage 17 with the summit finish and this grid starts as well. Yeah. What what do you think yeah. of that? Bit of a novelty. I can't see it making much impact to be honest. I mean as soon as you start you're kind of in position anyway. So I mean I I can't see that playing much of a much of a I know it goes straight uphill but it's other than the guys that are 200th on the grid they'll probably be end up in 200th <laughs> yeah. straight away anyway, but I think there's one summit finish isn't there in the Pyrenees which on paper doesn't look the hard, that hard, the Pyrenees, but um, I did see something with Johan Brunel the other day. He said they're, un, they're not to be underestimated. There are actually some you know, really tough days, although there's only one summit finish. So I think the Pyrenees are, are going to be hopefully pretty spectacular. Uh, is there much difference between the Pyrenees and the Alps when it comes to the climbs and, and gradients and length? Well, I think climb? predominantly the Pyrenees are always harder um, in road surface. It's kind of hard road surface, grippy. It tends to be a bit hotter, um, more humid, so it can rain a lot more in the Pyrenees as you get closer down to the Basque country. Um, and they're predominantly steeper as well, so uh, it, it isn't. It, they are tough. Were they always good to you? Did you enjoy them over the Alps? Um, I, I think I always prefer the Alpine climbs a bit better, the smoother surfaces and that, but going uphill is going uphill. I always struggle going uphill <laughs> anyway, so it's, uh, yeah... Stage 19 has the Tourmalet, the Bisque as well. There's some, some big climbs. Looking at the individual time trial on the penultimate day, as you mentioned, 30-odd kilometres, some rolling climbs throughout that. If it's close, then it, that's going to be decisive, isn't it? Um, it, may, if it? It may be more decisive for the podium, I think, than, than actually for the win. Hmm. Given that it might come down to that, how much are you aware when you're on the bike of the time gaps and how your opponents are getting on? Well, you'll be told constantly in the radio. I mean, G will have the, if we're still in yellow, but the, the luxury of going off last. So he'll know all the, if he goes through the first time split, he'll know everyone's time split. And that that's, the, you know, you're not wondering if you do Milan or, or go through those time splits and not know what Froome is doing or Thomas behind him. So he, he'll only have references on everyone that's gone before him. So he won't. But I think most of the guys will go out and ride their own race and ride to their own powers and what they're capable of. And the, you get told the time splits and it's just a reference. It's not like, OK, I know I'm five seconds down, I'll up it. You, you, you're you still riding on your plan, really. The, the time splits just give you encouragement if you're up more than anything. So they almost just it's just info coming in because I, I know if, if it were me and this is never going to happen, but if I found out I'm I'm down, it, I think it would really affect me straight away. It can do, yeah, yeah. Right, different riders like different information. I, I'd rather just know, and then you know what whether you're up or down. And if you're up, then it's like right, yeah, that confirms what I'm feeling, and that confirms how fast I've gone out to begin with, and I'm 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 good. If I'm gone out and I'm trying to hold 450 watts for the first 10k and we go through the first split and you're 12 seconds down but I've been holding 450 watts um, if you're riding to power most riders do ride to power now then you can still make calculations from that you can say okay well this guy's just gone through 12 seconds ahead of me I'm averaging 450 watts here so he's been averaging 470 you start doing calculations he's not going to sustain 470 for another hour if the time trial's an hour long so you stick to your plan, knowing that they'll die off. I, I went the Olympic time trial was a, a simple example of that. I, I went off and I always sit. I used to sit on four sixty, four fifty, four sixty watts uh, for the first up to the first split, which was five k into the Olympic time trial. They told me Tony Martin five seconds down on Tony Martin, and at that point I knew I'd won 
because I knew Tony had gone out too hard. He'd gone out and tried to scare me early on. And then we went through the second split and he was 20 seconds down. So I took 20. So it's how you gauge your effort and not react to the splits. Everyone in this day and age will ride their own race on their power and not react to what splits they're being told. You know, that you see it in these climbs, you know, when Sky are riding on the front and Bernal's riding off Kwiatkowski, they'll be riding at 400, 420 watts. Now, for someone, as we've seen, to attack off of that, as Quintana tried, Landers tried it, Bardet's tried it on Alpe d'Huez, they've got to attack and ride at 470, 450, 470 watts and to get the gap, initial gap, and then ride at those powers to sustain and to, to pull away. And and it's f- physically, they can't sustain that power for more than three or four or five minutes. And Sky know that. So Sky will just keep turning the screw, turning the screw. Stay at the same power. That's why they don't react to the attacks. They stay at the same power, same tempo, knowing that these guys can't sustain that power. Because you know what you can do yourself when you're riding at those threshold powers. And, and that's what they tend to do in time trolls. So you won't go out easy and hear that you're 20 seconds down and then go, OK, I'm going to up the pace now. It, it, it doesn't work like that. You're playing with such fine margins and such, such, you know, you're riding within sort of 5% of your max either way, you know, throughout the stage. So it's, it's uh, as I say, it's just it, all that does, it either gives you a boost if you're up or is demoralising if you're down. <laughs> so. Would you want that constant stream of information, Molly? We have it very much the same in terms of pacing plan. You tend to have been, if you're on one of the bigger teams in, in the women's side, you have someone who give, you know who works out the pacing plan with you and you stick to that. So I was always one who didn't like loads of information um, because then I did tend to react on it a little bit. I wanted to push on a bit and once you've, once you've gone over your plan, you can't really rescue it. I mean, if you've gone out a little bit slower, you can speed up. Whereas if you've already burnt out your watts in the first split because you're like, oh, I've panicked then you really quickly realise when they say in your radio something like, oh, I actually can't go any faster than this when it's time to pick it up a bit. So you have to just be really calm. And I think know yourself. And I think it's probably different. I obviously haven't been at this long a race, but at the end of, I've done it at the end of 10 days where you feel very different to how you would have in the start of a race. So I think it is just having like faith in that plan. That's something like you see that Sky have, that they're very regimented and they, they have confidence. They, you never see them panic. They know that they can sustain that. They know what they can do. So I think it's, it's information is useful to have, but just don't react on it. What happens yeah. if you say, I can't do any more? Do, you don't say that. You don't. You, don't. you can't talk in the time. No. I mean, normally you just have a one-way earpiece, so you, you won't have the radio that you can talk into. You'll right. just have a one-way, so you'll just hear information. Some riders don't like to take a radio. They just want to be in their own world, in their own bubble. Some riders, I used to ride with a guy called Christophe Moreau, and they, he didn't take a radio, but they had the big tannoy on the bonnet of the car with the microphone. And he'd have a Frenchman shout him, just like shouting, Ale, Ale, think of your wife, think of your children, think of you. And then he'd play music through the radio, through the town of dance music and stuff like this, you know. And there's a great video on YouTube of Mark Maddio following Brad McGee in the prologue of the 2004 Tour de France. And he's just lose, lost it, lost it, absolutely lost it, crying down the thing. And you, you sort of thinking that that's not going to help him, you know, go faster, go faster. It's like this guy's already on the limit. So sort of gone are the days of that really and it's now it's just you want clear precise information through that radio and and I used to have Sean Yates follow me and Sean drove every sector of every course that we ever did and he'd write everything down so he would just be talking to me right Brad you've got two kilometers straight flat now in 500 meters you go through a roundabout you've got a sharp right hand turn so I, I knew how far to bank it over just follow the gendarme motorbike so you'd you'd watch the gendarme who's always 100 meters in front of you and you'd follow you'd watch his angle because the motorbike riders are amazing in the tour de france the gendarmes and you could see how they bank over how much they would bank the motorbike over 100 meters before you got there so you knew how hard if you hadn't seen the course how hard to take the turn based on the trajectory of the motorbike. So you'd concentrate on that, plus you'd have the info of Sean, so you knew, and then you'd go through and you go, okay, it's just going for a small little town here, just you know, 300 metre rise, then it drops. You've got 200 metres left, 100 metres left, and then it drops, you know, so you just constantly have that info, like concise information. So, um, yeah, and then you'd get a time split, and it was just, that was it all the way through. That's where the staff is also really important, having someone yeah. you trust. So I've had time trials where you have someone that knows that you want... Yeah 
turns. You want things that are going to actually be practical information. You know how, like, you know, whether you need to stop pedaling through a corner, what's coming up. Then I've had people who are who are shouting things that actually are making you adjust how you're riding. So they're shouting like, up, 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 up. But you don't want to go up at that point. You actually are, helpful, you're holding yeah. the right power. So your mind's then going, oh, God, I'm obviously going too slow. So even subconsciously, you then go up, up, up. And then, then you're yeah. off your pace plan, and it's you. Actually, I end up pulling the earpiece out because it's just not. It's not doing anything, and it's actually just distracting you from your your own plan and, and just watching your watts. I've also had people early in my career that would lie to me. To, to, <laughs> oh, that's yeah. yeah so I, I you, five seconds up, or you know, you were down, but I told you you were up because I want. I didn't want to demoralise you, so you're giving you false information, trying to get your spirits up. Yeah. Well, why don't you just tell me the truth? Because you're confusing me now. You know, so it's it's. it's Right, before we go, uh, could I have a prediction from you both? Maybe, do you want to tell me who's on the podium uh, on in Paris? Yeah, Geraint, Froome, Dumoulin. One, um, two, three. I think Geraint, Dumoulin, Froome, but still the yeah, same, I the think, same I three. Think but Dumoulin will finish yeah. second, yeah. But yeah. those three, in any order, depend on the Pyrenees. I mean, we don't know, do we? But at this stage, you say Geraint, but we, as we saw at the Giro, you just do Yeah, not you'd have said Yates, wouldn't you, up to the, the last days, and you said Froome was home. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you both. Thank you, Molly. Thank you, Brad. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, this has been a Muddy Knees Media production for Eurosport. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Visit Eurosport.com and the Eurosport app for an unrivaled Tour de France experience. Watch live, uninterrupted video streams of the whole race with a host of extra features. There's live blogging and analysis from Felix Lowe and in-depth breakdowns of the biggest stages in how the race was won. Plus, comprehensive news, race highlights and the best of Eurosport's live coverage. Eurosport.com is the only place you need to be throughout Latour. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.